We learn the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, So the Mishnah is talking about a situation which puts across the idea of acquisition from one person to the Rishus of another. And the Mishnah is divided up into two parts. The Mishnah, of course, is found in the so there was one individual, we'll call him Ruven the Rechev, upon an animal, upon a beast, probably a donkey or horse. And because of his high vantage point, he was able to spot in the distance a lost object. This lost object had no simon on it, it was declared ownerless and hefka, and therefore he wanted to merit it to be zerch in it. So he was Rechav al Gabba Those are the first two stages of the Mishnah which paint the scenario, it's called a Tsiur. The description of the case continues by saying, and he said to his friend, li, give it to me, referring to the Mitziah. Go and pick up the Mitziah and give it to me. The Aloha is, not la. The man took it. So that's still part of the tzir. Notla, the man took it. Omar, and he said, I have become the owner of this. In other words, that's all part of the tzir. The tzir, very direct picture of a person, Al-Gabe Behema. He's upon this animal. He sees a metzir. He says to his friend, give it to me. The friend goes, picks it up. But instead of giving it to the one that requested of him to do so, he takes it for himself. What is the Alocha, the Gemara now, sorry, the Mishnah launches into the Alocha. The Alocha is Zocha Ba. The friend, we call him Chaim the Chaver, is Zoiche. He merits to have ownership over this particular lost object. It does not go to Reuven. Even Reuven was the spotter and the one that asked him to do so. As we examine the Gemara, we'll be able to see more deeply what the Chidush is. The Mishra continues and says, The Mishra says, If, however, after Chaim had given it to Reuven the Reuven, and then he declared, I was Zoiche in it first, Another tzir, le'omar klum. Chaim's words are as if he said nothing, meaning he does not merit it. In other words, the mission is made up of two cases. The first case is when the roichev, Reuven the roichev, tells him to pick it up. He picks it up and he says it's mine, he gets to keep it. The second case is he gives it to Reuven the roichev, and after it's already entered into Reuven the roichev's hands, he says it is mine, he doesn't get to keep it, rather Reuven is in it. What exactly the mahalchim, the swerves of the Mishnah, we're yet to see. Right now, the purpose of today's shir is not to go into the analysis of the Mishnah, but rather to go through an analysis of the Gemara using Pop as our guideline. Pop is a trilogy which suggests that in order for true textual understanding, one needs to have three things intact. The structure, that when you input the information, make sure that there is no lacking in the clarity of the basic components of the textual layout, not only in terms of the physical layer, but in terms of the way that the argument develops and changes direction, you should be able to number and label the different parts. Structure involves going through numbering and labeling and understanding the correlation, the relationship between the different parts of the sugya. Trying to understand the sugya without structure is trying to find your way in a forest without a map. You won't get anywhere. 
So we want to do structure. Post-structure, we have to enter into what's called powerful questioning to engage our mind in examining the premises, the crosshairs, who are the kashas and the terutim being asked and answered by, how the proofs bought as act as proofs, etc., etc., etc. That's the later stage. It can only be put into effect once the original structure has been laid down with clarity, which helps to defeat the ultimate and atomic student, who is vagueness! After that, we can go into paradigm shift, which is the relationship of what we previously thought about the particular halachic issue, the issue dealt with in the Gemara, and what we presently think. In order to do that, we have to identify our preconceived notions. What were our paradigms before we entered into the sugya? Sometimes they are very distant from what the sugya described. If you don't make a conscious effort to do so, it's very likely that our perceptual bias will incorporate our new understandings and distort it into old understandings. An awareness of this allows us the ability to separate our knowledge and hence be able to evaluate it and discover what's new in the sugya that we're about to learn. The sugya begins, says the sugya, Tnan, Hasam. It introduces us with one of those crucial critical key phrases, that we are fond of referring to as katakts. The reason why we call them katakts is because it, the acronym katak stands for a key, a crucial, a critical Talmudic key phrase. These are the indicators which tell us what's going to happen next in the Gemara, and therefore they allow us to navigate our way through the sugya. By understanding that katakts, a person is given a jump start in his ability to go through the Talmudic text, because were he to understand nothing but the key words, he will still have a precise nature of how the structure of the sugya works, even though he doesn't understand the details. Tznan Hasam. Tznan is an Aramaic word, which means it was taught, it refers, for, refers specifically to being taught in a Mishnah. Hasam. Hasam means over there. The Tough and the Shin are interchangeable between Hebrew and Aramaic, and therefore it's almost as if the Mishnah says Tan Shum over there. It's taught over there. And why is it taught? It's taught a Mishnah in regard to the Halacha of Peah. There's a Halacha of Peah. The Halacha of Peah prescribes that a person that owns a field, there's a certain portion of the field that he has to leave over to Anim. Generally, it's on the corner of the field because it's simply more accessible. So therefore it's called payer, which in English means corner. You have to take a corner or a certain amount of your field and designate it for poor people who can then come and collect the payer for themselves. Now, the status of payer is rather strange because it's not complete hefka. Even though any Oni, regardless of who he is and where he comes from, has the right, any poor person can go there and take it. So in, other, in a certain component, a certain perspective, it looks as if it's hefka. However... It's not absolute, because only an Ani, a poor person, has the right to take payer. Were a rich person to come and take payer, it would be considered theft of the poor people. So it's not onerous in as much as anyone can come and claim it. Rather, it is designated to a particular group of the population. Amongst them, the person that gets there first has the right to take it. So what happens in our scenario, in our Mishnah? Tnan, Hassan, we learned over there, Misha Liket Esa There was a person that collected payer. Now this person, and it's unclear who this person is. He may be rich, he may be poor. At this point in time, the Mishnah doesn't give us any information in regard to his financial status. Rather, it just says, Misha Liket Esa a person that gathers together payer for Omar, and he designates it for a named poor person. The Gemara says, the Mishnah says, Ploini, Ploini always 
means that when he said it, he made an explicit reference to a particular individual. So for example, if we illustrate the case, Ruvain goes down to the field, which has been designated part of it as Peya. He picks up a bunch of wheat that's been harvested, and he says, Harezu le chaveri hatoiv shu'ani meduka v'koyim loy shmerel. And he designates the paya that he picks up, and he gives it, allocates it to Shmerel. Is he, is he the owner of the... He's definitely not the owner of the field. Even if a person is a poverty-stricken individual, and he owns a field, and he designates a section of his field as paya, he has no right as the owner of the field to go and collect paya from it. So this person is a third individual who has no financial or legal relationship to this field, he comes in and he says, I want the pay that I've picked up to go to him. The question is, does that, is that an effective Kenyan on the behalf of his friend? At this point in time, again, it's not clear. Is he rich or is he poor? If he's rich, it means he has no right for him to be zoiche in this pay himself. If he's poor, he can be zoiche in his pay himself. This will make a difference in terms of the following explanations. The Gemara, Simcha. It would, because it would be discussing a wealthy person in order to illustrate whether or not a wealthy person can collect payer from another's field on behalf of his poor friend. Okay? So therefore, so therefore the question over here is, Michel Likait, Michel Likait, the one that collects so now we have a machlekes tenoim. There's two opinions in terms of is this effective or not. We have Rabbi Eliezer, and he says, Oimer, Zocha loy. Rabbi Eliezer is the opinion that this act of being mezake, causing your friend to acquire it, is in fact an effective act, and your friend does own it through your zechia. The chachamim argue, and they say your action is null and void, and hence you bequeath it, you give it, you hand it over to the first poor person that you bump into. So this Mishnah, this situation, comes out to be a machlokes tnoim between Rebbe Lezer and the chachamim. The Gemara goes on, in the name of Ula, to explain what it is. But just again, not to forget our location in the suga. So far we have one part in the suga. The suga begins with a statement introducing us to a Mishnah from another point. Now it's fascinating, exciting and heavily tantalizing about the study of Gomorrah. At this point in time, we have no idea how from Hamagbir Metzilichaveiro, when we got to the situation of one person riding upon his animal spotting a lost object, how did we travel over the universes and land up in Masech Tepei uh, that's part of the excitement of the Talmudic study. So right now we don't know why it's relevant to our sugar, but what we do is we do like we always do. We're patient to wait and see how things develop. At this point in time, we may even have seminal thoughts as to what the connection could be. We allow them to stew and to develop. Akiva. Well, the Chachami's opinion is when it says, is that you give it to the, to the first one you find, or, or does the person who originally picked it up and intended to give it to someone else, he gets to keep it. Okay, read the words and you tell me the answer to your somewhat silly question. I thought you'd would be give it to the one who found it first. Okay, now let's translate the words accurately. Let's translate, let's make sure that our input stage, when we're putting in the information, it's accurate. Okay? And let's translate the words. How do you translate the words? Yitneno. He will give it. 
he will give it, he will give the payer. Yeah. Who's the subject of the sentence? The person who found it. The person who found it. Le'oni. Ah. Hanim Hanimtza. Can we have a translation from someone other than Chaim for the word Hanimtza? To the one who finds. To the one who finds. Do you agree with that translation, Avi? Chaim, what does Hanimtza mean? To the one that is found first. It's Nena, he should give it to the first Oni he finds. Loose translation. Literal translation. Yit nena, contracted form of the verb. Future tense, third person. Yitain ota. He will give it. Le ani, to the per person. Ha nimsa. That is found. Rishain first. So he should give it to the ani that is found first, meaning the first ani he finds, he should give it. Like Great question you asked. Even though it was based on a simple mistranslation, we learn a very important lesson. If you mistranslate the Gemara, you'll be floundering in the dark forever. You don't want to do that. You want to make sure your diktuk is meduktak. Um, that does sound like he retains some sort of ownership. Of does it really? What word in that sentence makes it sound as if he retains some sort of ownership? To, because he, he's going to, whoever comes to him first gets that payer. As opposed to what would indicate that he retained no ownership if it would have said what? That... Whoever, I, I understood it as, put the payer down, you have nothing to do with it. Whoever You're asking a question, why does Rebbe Lezer say, Roshan, and why doesn't he say, Yachzir Lesode? Is that your question? He should say, put it back where it was. Yeah, Otherwise, know. we're assuming that he actually picked this up and took it home with him, correct? L'choyah, mm-hmm. right? At least it's talking about such a, it's not Dafka case okay, so where he picks it up and he's still in the field. Yeah. Could have taken it home. So your question is, why does it, Rebbe Lezer tell me to give it to the Oni fans first and not go back and place it in the field? Okay, that may be a significant question, or perhaps not. Al-Koponim, the shit of Rebbe Lezer is, the shit of Rebbe Lezer is that you, um, sorry, I beg your pardon, the shit of the Chachomim is that you have no Zechiah, you do not, the person that you wanted to belong to, it does not belong to him, and therefore, essentially, it can go to anyone in the world. Just one more question. One um, more question. R- regarding paya, is it, uh, it's something that's already bound up that it's, it's metalton, you can actually pick it up, or is it just land that someone gets to pick off of? Is the paya referring to crop which has been separated from the ground or not? I'm assuming it's referring to both. Why does it make a difference? Um, his, his co- the, way he, the way he acquires it, it would be to... Let's say, let's say it's referring to... Uh, Oranges that he's picking. So if it's, a, if it's attached to the ground, then how is he going to be able to designate? He looks at it and says... He I separates it from the ground, he picks it up, and he says, with this hagbah, I'm zoicha, to plony okay. He has to do that anyway, whether it's separated or not separated. He has to do a, a form of kinyan on behalf of the other. He can't just wish it to be the other person. He has to do a nice kinyan. You have to do each, each and every orange? Anything that he wants Yena to own, Yenna being a Yiddish word for the other, has to make a kinyan on. It's not miraculous. He can't just make wishful thinking kinyan on him. No, make do. Okay. No, that's what I wanted to clarify. Why is this different from a case of the person appointing a shliach to get something for him? The shliach great question in other words why is this case and I think Sim- Simcha inadvertently has cracked open the core of the sugya 
He says, isn't this surely the same as the case when I employ you as my shalikh, for example, I am the Ani and I send you to go get pay on my behalf? Would there be anyone in the world that would say, you can't employ a shalikh to go be mafrish the mafrish, to go be loiket the payer for you? Seemingly not. So why is this person any different from a shalikh? Or maybe a shalikh would be different, in this case shalikhs wouldn't work. What happened to our principle, which generally we understand is a growth out from shlichus of zochin adam shleibefonov? When I see a ownerless object lying on the ground, I have every right and ability to go and pick up that ownerless object for another. Why is this any different? Simcha cracks open the heart of the sugya. Continues the Gemara and says. So that was part one of the Gemara, and that's a statement. Let's see where the Gemara takes a statement. So it introduces us to a Machlekes Amoraim. The first Amoraim that appears in part two of the Gemara, again, statement followed by another statement. Amar Ula, Amar Ebi Shobin Levi. Ula says in the name of the great Amoraim, Amor Ebi Shobin Levi, Machlekes Me'ashir Lo'ani. It's a Machlekes from an Ashir, a poor person, a rich person, meaning that the person coming and collecting the payer on behalf of the other is well endowed. He has enough financial assets. He's not, he's not um, worthy of. He's not able to get payer for himself, and he wants to give it to an ani. The machlok is between Reb Lez and the Rabban is only when an asher goes down to the field and he wants to be zoiche on behalf of the ani. The Rebbe Lezer Savar, and the re- reasoning of Rebbe Lezer is as follows: Migu, since the e boy mafkir nichsei, since that if he wants, he can render ownerless all his assets, his properties, vahaveyani, and as a result, he will now become considered as a poor person, vechazilei. And therefore, now it will be suitable for him to get payer. In other words, he could theoretically create a situation where he becomes one that can get payer. Hashtanami Chazile. Now also, he's appropriate, he's suitable to get payer. Step number one. Step number two. Umiguda Zachile Nafshe. And now, if you have this fictional disowning of all his properties. He can be zoich for himself. Since he can be zoich for himself, zochi nami lechavre. He can also be zoich for his friend. The Rabbonin and the Rabbonin Savri, they hold chad migu amrinan, trei migu The Rabbonin hold, you can say one migu, meaning you can say migu de zochi lenafshe zochi nami lechavre, but you say one migu on top of another migu, that migu he could go and get, make all his properties ownerless, and then become poor. And then when he's poor, since he could be zochai for himself, he can be zochai for his friend, to miguim you do not say. And that's the machlokes between Reblezna Rabban, aval me ani ani divakol zochaloi. But if the person coming onto the field would be an ani and worthy of pay himself, then everyone agrees, even the Chachamim, that he could do it, there is opinion of Ula. So comes along Ula and explains the rationale behind the Machlokes Tanoim of Rebeleza and the Chachamim. In other words, in terms of the function of the Sugya, we're just basically scratching the surface of the Sugya, presenting the different parts. Statement of 
quotation of a Mishnah in Peah. Ula comes, also as a statement, to explore the rationale behind the Mishnah in Peah. But it's not a Kasha, it's not a Teretz, it's not even a Raya. It's saying, you said this, I'm going to say more stuff about what you're saying. Remember what the function of a statement is. function of a statement is to introduce a novel idea. The Mishnah was quoted to introduce us to the novel idea, and it works in consorts with Ula to introduce us what the novel idea is in terms of an underpinning logic. So that's part two. That's really what we do in our instructor. That's part of the sugya. Do we understand why, like Simcha said, when he cracked to the heart of the sugya, normal shlichus doesn't work? Why do we have to say a migu to zochil nafshi zochil nami lechaber? Why don't we simply zochil nadam shalei befanov? All those questions are going to be put on hold as we forge further in the sugya, finding the structure. So far, there's been two points. Statement, statements. Amalur of Nachman. Comes around of Nachman, and now he argues on Ula. Amalur of Nachman, Ula. Mar, may ani ani machloikis. So now comes along with Rav Nachman and he challenges Ullah's explanation of the Mishnah. This, of course, becomes a kasha, a difficulty. Ullah, you have given in your previous statement, which is part two of the Gemara, Rav Nachman entering into part three of the Gemara, the explanation of the Machlekes between Rebelez and the Chachamim is based on Miguim. And we're referring to the seer of the case. You've made the situation be talking about an Ashir giving over to an Ani. What causes you to limit the case to that particular scenario? Never in the words of the Misha does it hint to the fact that the Misha Likate is referring to a person that has Cuban cigars stowed away in some type of perfectly temperature-controlled room. Never. And therefore, perhaps the Misha is talking about from one Ani to another. Let's say the machloikis between Rebleiz and the Rabbonin is from one poor person to another. Doha, because behold, When it comes to Metzia, everyone is considered a poor person. To explain the words that Rav Nachman is saying, in a Metzia, in Peah, only poor people have a right to gain ownership over it. Whereas in the Metzia, since it's owners, whether you're poor or rich, poverty-stricken or a billionaire, you have the same zuchus. So in other words, a Metzia is analogous to a case of Ani Ani. And what happens in Metzia? Let's look. Utnan, and we learned in Metzia, a person was riding upon a beast. Vera is a Metzia. And now already the riddle as to why this Mishnah came up so close to our Mishnah is starting to be resolved. There's a conceptual overlap between the two. Like we learned in the Mishnah when a person was riding upon a behemoth and he said to his chaver, Give me the Metzia that you see over there, that I see over there, not The person picks it up and he says, I was in it. He merits. So comes along Rav Nachman, he says as follows. If you say, it's all well and good. If you say, like I suggested, Rav Nachman, to you, Ula, that the Mishnah of Peah is referring to Ani to Ani, a poor person to another, and not Ani to Asher, that's where the Machloik is between Rebles and the Chachamim is. If you say, Ani Lani Machloikes, Masnisi Mani, who's our Mishnah that says, 
when you're Zoiche on behalf of your friend, it doesn't work? Rabbanan he. Then it's Rabbanan. Ella, however, rather, if you say it's talking about our Mishnah Mishalikat Peah is talking about a rich and a poor person. And that's where the Machloik is, Rebelez and the Chachamim is, and the Machloik is, do you say two Migus or not? Avami Anilani, Divrahakal, Zachaloi, but when it comes from one poor person to another, everyone agrees, Bain Rebelez, Bain Rabbanan, that of course you can be Zoiche. Harmani, Loi Rabbanan, Veloi Rebelezer. Over here, who's the author of our Mishnah? It can't possibly be the Rabbanan, neither Rebelezer. Because when it comes to Ani Loani, meaning when it comes to a situation where you both have an equal right to be Zurchim the object, both Rebelezer and the Chachamim agree, you can do that for another. The only point of discussion is when you don't have a right. Can you say two migus or not? But when you do have a right, everyone agrees you can be zoichem. And yet you see in our Mishnah that when this person picked up the lost object to be zoichem to his friend who was riding upon the behemah, he does not, his friend does not acquire it. So we see from this Mishnah of Roichev that Ani Ani as well, there is opinion that holds. You can't be Zoich for your friends. So says Rav Nachman, I therefore hold that the Mishnah of Mishalikat Paya is referring to one Ani to another. And even from one Ani to another, even though you can be Zoich for yourself, you can't be Zoich for another. Now Tosis points out, what's the Machloikis according to Rav Nachman? What's the Svara of the Machloikis? Be Shleima according to Ula. The Svara of the Machloikis is, do you say one Migu or two Migus and everyone agrees? One Migu you say, two Migus you cannot say. But according to Rav Nachman, that we're not talking about two Migus, there's only one Migu over here. So does Rav Nachman hold there's a Machloikis in is that where the Machloikis is? Or does Nachman say the Machloikis is elsewhere? Since we're only dealing with structure, that's a question we're going to allow to brew on the backbone of our Jewish learning challenge. Jewish learning is like Jewish food. Jewish food is challenge. Or let's say the ultimate Jewish food is challenge. Challenge. The longer you let it cook, the better it tastes. Cushers, the longer you let them stew, the better they taste. Michael, what would you like to ask? Just uh, for structure. So we have, we have our Mishnah, and then we deviate into Peya, and then we start getting to Siddha Peya. Then we use our Mishnah to help explain the Mahlokas that's going on in Peya. Not, not quite accurate. The way I would say it is using the nomenclature that we have. We have a nomenclature which is called squatter. I don't know if you recall. But when we came to the analysis of the Gemara, we said we need a vocabulary. The Gemara is a sea of words. How are we going to differentiate between where one part starts and the next part, where one part ends and the next part starts? You need to be able to differentiate what the different parts, movements of the Gemara are. So we came up with an acronym known as squatters. Squatters stands for statement, the S. K, it's spelled S-K-Q-A-T-R. Remember? S-K-Q-A-T-R. The S stands for statement, which is a presentation of a new piece of information. The K stands for akasha, which is a difficulty with any of the above parts. The Q stands for a question, which is a search 
for information. The A stands for an answer, which is giving the information. The T stands for a teretz, which is a resolution. And the R stands for a raya, which is a proof. So those are the words that we have to describe the sugya. We borrow them from the Ramchal. And the Ramchal says any movement in any sugya in the whole of Shas will be able to be described by those words. So using those words to describe our sugya, this is what we have. We have a statement, which is our Mishnah. Followed by a statement, which is the Mishnah Empire. Followed by a statement, which is the mission, which is Raula's explanation of the Mishnah Empire. Those are all statements. They presentation of information. They differ in the way they're presented, but they all have that same notion. We're presenting you with new ideas. Okay. okay? One's part one, two, and three. The next part, which is Rav Nachman's entrance into the sugya, is a difficulty. And his difficulty is with Ula. He says, Ula, I don't understand. The explanation, the statement that you said is nonsensical. Because if your understanding in the Mishnah, in Paya is correct, it will come out that our Mishnah of the Metziah, Reichev al-Bahema, doesn't have a Tana that corresponds to him. We only have, in regard to the explanation of can you acquire an ownerless object for another, two opinions. We only have a precedent of two opinions. And that is Rebelezim Chachamim. That's where the Machlokes exists. Those are two opinions. We have no other opinions in Shas. And therefore, any time an issue of being Zoyche to your friend comes up, it has to fit into either the opinion of Rebelez or the Chachamim. Now, when we have an analogous case to the case of Peah, which is a case of Bahama, Rechav al-Gaba Bahama, it's a Mitzia. And we see there's an ownerless object that one wants to acquire for another. You follow me? And that, of course, is a duplicate, logically, of the Machlokes Rebbelezer and the Chachamim. Says Rav Nachman Tu'ula, if your explanation of the Machlokes Rebbelezer and the Chachamim is correct, it comes out that when we see the duplicate, it's a deviant opinion that doesn't exist. Because in your explanation of the Machlokes Rebbelezer and the Chachamim, there was no opinion that held that when I have a right to be zorichin something myself, I can't transfer it to another. Everyone agreed that that could be done. However, our mission is a case when you do have a right, and it says you can't not transfer it to another. So therefore our Mishnah, which is a duplicate in logic of the case of Rebbelez and Chachamim, goes like neither of their opinions. However, says Rav Nachman, if you learn the mission that I was learning, that even in an era where you have a right to be zoich in something, there's a machlekes whether you can, you can be zoich to someone else, you can be mazaka to someone else or not, our Mishnah fits in perfectly with the opinion of the Chachamim and not the Kriblezer. So therefore says Rav Nachman to Ula, you are wrong in your explanation of the Mishnah, I am right, that's called a Kasha. Now of course, we will be able to subdivide Rav Nachman's Kasha into smaller parts, but right now we're looking for the grand structure of the sugya. Statement, 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 kasha. And now what's probably going to happen, I would anticipate, is a terrace, and we'll call that part statement, statement, statement. We'll say three parts. Part four is a kasha. Part five, I'm inclined to think, will be Rav Ullah's defense on how he learns the Mishnah against Rav Nachman's kasha, and therefore it will be a terrace. Getting into the rhythm of the flow of the Gemara, knowing which each stage is, is a great assistance to be able to anticipate what's going to happen next. And let's see what happens next. Taka, Amalei. Amalei, Masnisin, Do'amar, Tchila. So Amalei, Saula, 
replies back to Rav Nachman. The Mishnah is when he said Tehila. So what is exactly does that mean? Meaning that in our Mishnah, contrary to your explanation, Rav Nachman, that you understood the Mishnah was that the person picking up the lost object for another, when he picked up the lost object, his intention, Chaim the Chavev, when he picked up the lost object, his intention was that Reuven the Rechav should be Zoich in it. And the Mishnah rules that it didn't work. That's how you, Rav Nachman, are understanding the Mishnah. Correct? Says Rav Nachman, correct. Says Ula, that's not the right understanding of the Mishnah. The Mishnah, in fact, is not a duplicate of the Machlokes and Rebbe and the Chachamim. In fact, this Mishnah is a completely different case. And you can't even compare it. And therefore, your kasha against me is irrelevant. What is the Mishnah talking about? The Mishnah is talking about a scenario when Chaim the Chavah picked it up and he didn't say, with my picking up, I'm Zoyche for Reuven the Rechev. Rather, he said, with my picking up, I'm Zoyche for myself. He had no attempt to be Mazakal Acherim. Therefore, says... The Mishnah is talking about when he said, I was Zoyche in it first, meaning I didn't have any intention to give it over to you. Comes along, that's part five, that's the Teretz, Hachinami Mistavra, Hachinami Mistavra introduces a Raya proof in part six. Hachinami Mistavra, this is also logical to Ketani Sefer, because look at what the Sefer says. The Sefer says, If once he's given it over, Chaim the Chavah is given it over to Reuven the Rechev, he says, I was Zoichin at first, Loi, Omar Klum. His words have no meaning. Says Ula to bolster himself, explaining what the Raya is. Says Ula, Tchila, Besefer, Lameli, Pshita. Why does it say the word Tchila in the second part of the Mishnah? It's obvious if he said he wanted it back, he meant to say that he was Zoich in it first. So of course you don't have to say, I was Zoich in it first, that's self-understood. Even though he didn't explicitly say the word, of course he meant that. He said that I, it was mine. So he's saying Tchila. Rather is it not, says Surely the safe is coming to teach me this. This is coming to teach me. Reisha Omar Tchila. The Reisha is also talking about a case when you said you were Zoichin at first and that's the reason why you get to keep it. Because you had no intention of giving it to him. And therefore, Rav Nachman, don't try to disprove my explanation of the Mishnah by saying that it would come out like neither of the opinions of Reb Lezer and that our mission in Metzir would come out like neither opinion of Reb Lezer and the Chachamim that is in fact absolutely incorrect. Reb Lezer and the Chachamim were arguing when you want to be Zeichah for someone else and our mission is talking about when you want to be Zeichah for yourself and therefore there is no logical connection between the two and therefore I'm totally legitimate in explaining the mission of Peah in the way I did and you Rav Nachman are totally wrong and not only that says Ula, I even have a proof from the Loshan HaMishnah in Bava Metziah. The Loshan in the Mishnah in Bava Metziah says Tchila, meaning I got it first. Now why would it say I've got it first 
in the Sefer, it's implied rather to tell me that the cases both in the Mishnah is when the person is claiming that he was Zoichet for himself at the outset and therefore you Rav Nachman are incorrect in your understanding of the Mishnah and I Ula am completely defended in the way I explained the Mishnah in Paya and your Kasha is not a Kasha and that's the end of part 6. So, so far we've had statements, 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 part 1, through 2 and 3. Kasha part 5, Teretz part 6, sorry, <laughs> Kasha part 4, Teretz part 5, and Raya part 6. Let's go ahead with the structure and see, because what I'm anticipating over here is Rav Nachman is going to try to defend himself against the Raya that Ulla has brought against him. And what happens? So says the Gemara, the Idach, the Idach, meaning the other referring to Rav Nachman. Why does he say that it says the word so now, just to pre- pick up on this interesting movement of the Gemara and focus on the key phrase. Over here, we have a great example of a katek, a crucial critical term, but the key phrase, ve'idach, because ve'idach is one of those cases where those not well versed in the study of Talmud will be caught off balance. Because ve'idach really is a whole long kasha said with one word. All the ve'idach, if you translate it, says is and the other. What it means is and the other, namely, introducing the proper noun, Rav Nachman, that you understood this Mishnah differently to Ula, and you weren't bothered by the word Tehillah, how do you resolve the word Tehillah? That entire question, Kasha, sorry, question, is contained in the one word for Idach. And that's why it's worthwhile learning Talmud, because then you don't have to buy the art scroll, and that's why the art scroll for Bav has got however many volumes it has, whereas above Mitzi has one volume, because the art scroll would have to speak out that whole implicit Chakna Torah. Whereas when you learn to unravel the um, kataks, the key, key phrases, that won't be a problem for V'idach and Rav Nachman, sorry, V'idach and Rav Nachman, why, how in the world are you going to reconcile the fact that the mission says T'chila? Rav Nachman answers by saying, Tana the Sefer is taught The Sefer is taught to reveal what the Reisha is. The Sefer is talking about where you did say Tchila to expose, to contrast to the Reisha where you did not say Tchila. So the Sefer is talking about what, what is... What did you say? Saying that I... was for him. I want Zohar to be Zohar for, for me. Zohar for him. That's all line of reasoning that Rav Nachman uses, correct? Can only be Zohar for him. So the Sefer is talking about when I Zohar, in other words, to contrast and say, in the Sefer, the reason why it's discussed is because he said Tehillah. That's why after you've given to him only does it belong to him because you wanted to Zohar for yourself. Whereas in the Reisha, you want to be Zohar for him. And still he doesn't get it because we subscribe to the opinion of the Chachamim that say you can't get it. Well, you have to understand the rationale behind Rav Nachman's logic. But at this point in time, the Suga has statement, 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 parts 1, 2, and 3. A kasha of Rav Nachman to Ula, a resolution from Ula back to Rav Nachman, a proof that Ula brings, that's part 6. And the seventh part is Rav Nachman's defense against Ula's proof. So at this point in time, once we see the Suga, it's equally weighted. What I mean is, neither one has opschlogged, refuted the other. Both have two different ways of learning, which of course brings us to the crucial 
and fundamental occupation of Talmudic study that it's a dialectic. It's two-dimensional, at least, if not three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine-dimensional, that you can't get caught up in your Western linear way of thinking. Rather, you have to be a broad-minded towards you and see one idea from many different and diverse perspectives. And that comes to a close with that. The first part of the sugar, since we're almost there, let's push on to the Mishnah and see what the second part of the sugar brings to us. Begins the second part of the sugya. Rav Nachman, Rav Chista, Dami Travai. So now we have a pair. Rav Nachman, Rav Chista team up to say the following thing. Dami Travai, they both them say, a person that picks up a lost object on behalf of his friend, So Reuven is walking down the street and he sees an ownerless object and he thinks, gosh, look at this ownerless object. It happens to be a beautiful ownerless with no simon, brand new watch. He thinks, you know what, I know Shimon is absolutely desperate for a watch. What I'm going to do, he picks it up and he says, with this picking up, I am Zoyche for Shimon. The question is, what's the status of the watch in Reuven's hands right now? Come along, both Rav Nachman and Rav Chista, they say, even though he said that, even though it's resting his hands, that watch is absolutely ownerless. And were a third person to come and grab the watch out of Reuven's hand, the third person would be the owner of the watch because My timer, so that's part one of the suga. Part one, of course, is a? No, another. My timer is a? Information question. What is the rationale behind the statement? That's part two of the sugya. And part three of the sugya is an answer. So we have statement, question, answer. He is one that is grabbing, meaning the person that picks up a lost object is akin to the one that grabs on behalf of a creditor in a place where it will be detrimental to others. And the halach is one that grabs for, his, for a creditor in a place where others will suffer loss, is not, does not acquire. The, in other words, the comparative case, the case that Rav Nachman and Rav are comparing to, is a situation when Ruvain is owed money by Shimon. He's owed a lot of money. He's owed $10,000. And the sum total of Shimon's assets come to $10,000. So a third party, Levi, would like to go into Shimon's house, clear him out, and give all that stuff to Ruvain. So again, Reuven is owed money by Shimon, $10,000. Shimon's assets are worth $10,000. Levi, a third party, unin- uninvolved, of his own volition, no one asked him to do it, wants to come into Shimon's house and clear up Shimon's house and give it to Reuven. Can he do that? Well, it depends. Is it chav lachem or not? Are other people going to lose out because of Levi's well-intentioned efforts? If Reuven owes money, sorry, if Shimon owes money also to Yehuda, Yisach and Zvulun, and he owes them also $10,000 each, the consequence of Levi moving in and cleaning out Shimon to give to Reuven would be that now Yisach Zvulun, all Yehuda, Yisach Zvulun, they all lose out their money. Because all of Shimon's assets have been cleared out, and they've been cleared out by a non-involved party. 
That's called a toy face. Levi is a toy face, the Baal Chayv. He grabs for the creditor, where he's causing others detrimental loss. It's detrimental to others. There's a limited amount of assets, and he takes them as an uninvolved party for the good of another. He has no right to do so. Similarly, when I pick up a lost object, not for myself, for another, since every single person in the world has a right to that lost object, when I pick it up and I say, it's not for me, it's for him, I'm depriving others of the asset and I have no right to do so and that's the rationale between Rav Nachman and Rav Chista in presenting the fact that because it's exactly the same as a pre-existing halacha of so so far in the sugi we've had three parts, we've had a statement we've had an information question what is the rationale and we've had an answer to that information Question. Let's see what happens next. Aceve is a crucial critical Talmudic key phrase which indicates what does it indicate? Akasha, Teretzara, Akasha. And how would you define using a good phrase of what a Mesve is or an Aceve? It's an Amorai It's an Amorai It's a Kasha from an Amorai. It's a kasha from an Amorai. We're getting there, but so, not so quite specific. A little bit too vague. Bringing a, bringing a Mishnah Rebrisa. Kasha from Tanai. Aceve is a Kasha. Aceve is a kasha from a single amorah to another, to another single amorah based on a either scriptural, meaning from psukim, from Tanakh, or a Tanaic source. Could be from a pasuk as well. Aceve is not only from a Mishnah or Bryce, it could be from a pasuk. A Mesve is a kasha from a group of amorahim onto a single amorah based on scriptural or Tanaic source. So Aceve has a specific connotation, as does Mesve. So over here we have Aceve, it's attacked from one amorah to another. In terms of Aceve, Rav or Rav Nachman. And in this case, it's Rav is going to be asking Akasha to Rav Nachman. Yes, Sapoznik. Um, can the creditor himself go into. Of course he can. Of course he can. So he can. Even though it's going to hurt other creditors. Of course he can, because he has a right to the money. He's a, he's a party that is an interested party. Whereas Levi. He's a third party, he has no interest. So he can't go do favors when others are going to lose out. But if I want to gain what's rightfully mine, of course I can. Others will lose out. That's not my problem. Why should I lose out? But Levi is an uninvested party. So he can't deprive others. For your state, you yourself can because it's your money. You're that's entitled a, that's to it. That's the correlation with the lost object. You can pick it up yourself and you can own it. Sure. You want to pick it up for yourself, but you're picking up for someone else. So then you, you're acting as an uninterested party, an uninterested party, a disinterested party in order to benefit others. That cannot be. Okay. So Rava comes with a kasha on Rav Nachman. And he cites again um, a... Uh, a Mishnah the the Poyel so Poyel is someone that's employed correct? Metzias Poyel L'Atzmoy an employee who picks up something it's, it's, it's for himself correct correct It says it. Gemara says, yeah. Gemara says on your base. On your base. Let's see a spoil.
כפיות חס, כפיות חס, כפיות חס. So it's not, it doesn't look like it's a mission, it looks like it's a bracer. It's a bracer. Yeah. Okay. It's a bracer, sorry, not a mission. So the, the bracer says, Matthias Perla Atmoy, meaning I hire, my name's uh, Reuven the boss. I call myself Baruch the boss. I'm Baruch the boss. And I hire Pinchas the Poel to work for me. So Pinchas the Poel is working for me. And under my employ, he finds a lost object. The question is, who gets a lost object? So the Gemara then, sorry, the Mishnah, the Brahsa then qualifies itself by saying, When do you say that the lost object that a pearl finds goes to him? Idur imi hayoim, when the balabais, Baruch the balabais, gives instructions to Pinchas the Pearl to do a specific task. To weed or to till for him that day. Then the lost object that while this pearl is weeding or tilling goes to the balabais. Aval amaloi asayimi melocha hayoim, but if there's a. It's the other way around. Sorry, if the, if, I beg your pardon, I erred. Matthias Pearl asks me when, if there's a specific task that the Pearl is given, for example, weeding or telling, then the Pearl gets to keep the lost object for himself. But if the Pearl says, if the Balabais, Baruch the boss, says to Pinchas the Pearl, I want you to work for me today, and he doesn't specify the task, rather he'd like to have his entire day under his employ, in that situation, the Metziah goes directly to the Balabais. Metziah shall buy the Bais who? So, <coughs> In other words, there's two cases that the, the Bryce differentiates between. The one is when I hire you to do a specific task and you find something. The other is when I hire you, I buy your, the day, your day's work, a non-specific task, and uh, what you happens. If task. there's a specific task that I hire you for and you find a lost object, so then you get to keep it. Seemingly this far is that when I hired you, I hired you to do me a job. And therefore, picking up a lost object is not part of your job. That's your own jurisdiction. You have an independent right to do stuff as well. But it's still within that framework, doing the task. You it's not. The task, task was to weed, not to pick up lost objects. I said, you weed. So you did something else. You can do something else. Now, can you do it without taking away time for the bad advice? I hope so. If you can't, that's a separate question. If I say, I say, me, if I say, I want you to work for me today, which means I'm buying today's work. Every single thing that you do today, you're under my employ. I'm not giving you a specific task. Rather, I'm making. Sorry? 
It depends how you define work. If the, con- if the contractual obligation that you have to me, even though over here, of course, it's a verbal contract, is that anything that you do today, I am buying the, so your services for today. Meaning, in any capacity that you act for today, you're acting as my extension. You're my hired worker. So therefore, when you find that lost object, you're doing work for me automatically. Okay, but then based on that, being that it's in that, time, in that frame, you said that for the entire day. Mm-hmm. So surely, if that's the case, if it's within while you're telling the soil, or if it's within while you're weeding for the person, that should, that should also apply. No, because when you're weeding for the person telling the soil, you engage in the occupation that he's employed you to do. To then pick up lost objects is doing something that he never employed you to do. So why in the world should you be zeicher for him? It, wasn't, it has nothing to do with him. This act is an independent act. You're picking up a lost object. You're not continuing your work for him. You're doing something separate and unrelated. Whereas when he hires you to work for him, so this is part of the work that you're doing. So the Gemara differentiates, sorry, the Bryce differentiates and says that if you say... I say the Mitsia goes to the Balabais. Oh, this whole part is the Brysa? This is all the Brysa. This is all one big Brysa. But from this Brysa, Rav Nachman um, is under attack from Rava. Rava wants to point out that I see how in the world did this Mitsia get accredited to the Balabais? Hooray, you are of the opinion of my Mitsia Mitzia Lechaveri. Loikana, you Rav Nachman say that when I pick up a lost object on behalf of another, the other guy can't be Koine because you you're causing others a detriment. If that's true in this particular situation, so when I'm doing it for the Balabais, I'm doing it on the Balabais' behalf, how can I do it? It shouldn't work. And yet you see it works. Therefore, you Rav Nachman are wrong. I say, Magbim is so now we're taught of Nachman. So let's just figure out how many parts we have in part B of our suga. We said there were seven parts to part A of our suga. Let's start counting the parts in part B. So we have the statement of Rav Nachman and Rav Chista. That's part one. Then we have the question, which is part two. Then we have the answer, which is part three. Then we have the Asa, which is the Kasha, part four. And now we're going to have the Teres, which is the resolution, part five. Amalei replied Rav, Rav Nachman to Rava, Shani Poil, the Yodoy, Kiyad, Balabais, who? A Poil is different because he's not considered a separate entity. It's almost as if the Balabais is picking up the Mitzvah himself. Magbir Mitzvah means when I have an independent legal status and I want to be Zerich on your behalf. That you cannot do because you're causing, as an independent body, a detriment to others. But when you are the embodiment of the person that's getting the lost object, of course it can be done. Yad Pol Kiyad Balabais, and that's why it works. And says Rav Nachman, it's not a Kasha on me Bichlau, and that brings to a close part four. Part 5. Statement, question, answer. Kasha, terrorist. Part 5. So now, part 6 is another Kasha. What's part 6? So comes along Rava and retorts to Rav Nachman. Your Sephora must be wrong. You're saying over here that the Yad Poil is killed by the Bais. That the Poil is an extension of the Balabais. Meaning that what the Poil's done, what the Balabais has done is he's bought the hands of the Poil for that day. That would imply that the Poil himself has no independent usage of the fruits of his labor for the extent of that day. How can that be? Because Rav says 
that the poil has the right to renege on his contract in the middle of the day. Now, if it would be that the Balabais had bought his services for the entirety of the day, and he had become subservient, in a sense, to the Balabais, his yad is the yad of the Balabais, so he has no right to go back on it. From the fact that you see he has a right to go back on it, you see that the yad poil is not like the yad Balabais. Since the yad poil is not like the yad Balabais, so therefore the only reason you can be Zorich in the Metziah, is because of Zorchi Lenafshe, Zorchi Magbiya Metziah Lechaveri, Kona Chaveri, and therefore you Rav Nachman are wrong. That's part six. Part seven is Rav Nachman's defense. Amar Lei, Kol Kamadole Hodarbe, Kiyad Balabaisu. Says Rav Nachman, you're wrong. I am right. As long as he hasn't reneged on the deal, he is an extension of the Balabais. How can he then be chayzer? It's for a completely unrelated reason. Ki hadar bay taimachrinahu. When he reneges on the deal, it's for a separate and independent reason. It's for a scriptural injunction which says, "Hu dichtiv ki li bnei Yisrael avadim avadahem v'loy avadim laavadim." There's a pasuk which says, "To me, Yisrael are servants." My servants they are, they are not servants to servants. In other words, there is an issue for a person to become a slave to another. Since there is an issue for a person to become a slave to another, were it to be employed with a contract that you would never be able to get out of the contract, that's akin to slavery and that does not go. And that's the reason why the pearl can be chazer in the middle of the day, he can renege on his deal in the middle of the day. It's for that reason, that reason alone. But until he decides to do so, so he's considered a fully-fledged, Extension. extension of the hands of the Balabais. And that brings to a close part 7 of our little suya. Let's see what happens in part 8. comes and he also, he says a statement related in topic but not in flow to the Bav Gemara. He goes against Rav Nachman and Rav Chistin and says, you are Kone. Um I, you'll ask from our Mishnah that seems to indicate that he is not Koine. Answers, answers Reb Chia. In our Mishnah, it's because. It's because you said, give it to me, not be zorcha to me. So therefore you never intended to be zorcha on his behalf, and that's why not zorcha. But if you would intend to be zorcha on his behalf, of course the zechir would take place. So now just looking back, which is called zooming out, what do we have in our suga? We essentially have two massive chunks to our suga, part A and part B. They are then subdivided, both funnily enough, into seven parts. Each one reflecting a different exploration of different sides of this notion of when you want to be zerche on another's behalf, how does that take place, what are the different parameters, how does the machlokas and maraymah to know fit together, and that's an exciting sugar for us to see right now. All we've done is structure.